0: In this episode, I talk to the king of SaaS sales, John Barrows. Let's go. Woo-hoo-hoo! All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Momentum Podcast. This is your host, Tom Alemo. You can find me on social media at Tommy Tahoe, Twitter. Instagram, YouTube. Uh, you can find more about the show in the show notes in our blog at millennialmomentum.net. Uh, if you are new to the show, thank you for listening. This show is all about millennial personal development, right? And trying to get to that next level, whether it's in business, your career, your relationships, your health, uh, spirituality, wh- whatever it may be. You have a goal. You want to get there. You're ambitious. I think you need three things, right? You need a relentless Work ethic. You need a positive growth mindset attitude. You need a little momentum, which is forward motion with energy, right? So I'm hoping that this show, the videos, the blog, whatever I do, can help be that spark of momentum for you. I hope it can be that uh, spark of momentum for myself as well, because I am going after some big goals. And you know, I, I appreciate you coming on this journey. I'm not an expert, but I'm learning from some from some great people, and I appreciate you listening and hope this is helpful. As a quick side note, I do this all uh, for free. I have a full-time job that has nothing to do with podcasting or writing uh, in sales management. And so this is all what I do between the hours of 4.30 and 7 a.m. or 8 to 10 p.m. or Saturdays or today is Sunday at 3.50 p.m., And it's 65 degrees outside in California, and here I am doing this. And so I hope this provides value. If it did, please just head over to Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. Subscribe, leave a review, share it out. Uh, It means the world to me as I'm trying to just add value to people that are getting after it. And with that said, let's get into today's episode. In Ray Dalio's book, Principles, Uh, He says, principles are fundamental truths that serve as the foundations for behavior that gets you what you want out of life. They can be applied again and again in similar situations to help you achieve your goals. So I'd ask, do you have principles that guide your life? And, you know, I don't mean the quote on your wall that says, live, laugh, love. I don't mean the tribal tattoo on your bicep. It's more detailed than a quote. It's, it's more simplistic, though, than a book of rules. It's a way to live life, right? As a reminder to work hard, treat others well, think boldly. When it really comes in handy is when you got your back against the wall. You know, an agonizing decision. It's 2 a.m. on a Wednesday night, and your, your thoughts are racing really quickly. You know, should I fire her? Is he really the one for me? Can I keep going? Should I just quit? the Really life changing decisions, and um, you know, John Barrows does, and he's not your average sales trainer that's who's on the show today. He's a self described salesperson that happens to train. Uh, I think that's somewhat accurate. I'd describe him more as a wise business mind that enjoys selling and he enjoys training. And whatever you call him, you, you got to call him successful. I mean, he has taken over the niche of SaaS sales training. He's working with companies like Salesforce, LinkedIn, Box. He has trained my company, Tech Target, uh, for the last year or two. I love his writing. I love his tips. He's got a great podcast himself, um, the Make It Happen Mondays podcast. Check him out. Um, but despite that success or anyone's success, we all have those 2 a.m. conversations with ourselves. And having these principles really helps to. Guide you in the right direction. I'm just going to read off his 12. I think they're so good. Number one, work smart and hard. Number two, always ask for feedback. Number three, set high but attainable goals and tell people about them. Number four, earn everything. Number five, be open and honest with everyone, especially yourself. Number six, don't think you're better than anyone else, but know no one is better than you. Seven, confidence overcomes most shortcomings. Except for an ego. Number eight, find your passion or find something else to do. Number nine, what goes around comes around. Number 10, you can learn something new from everyone in every situation. Number 11, make sure you can live with the worst case scenario. And number 12, get at least 1% better every day. And I think those are just spot on. And those are his, right? And I'm not suggesting necessarily that you copy all of his or any of his. But to find what those principles are, you're going to hear John talk about how to follow, how to find your passion and follow it, right? Uh, He says, find your passion or find something else to do. You're going to hear him talk about a five year plan. You're going to hear him talk about what has helped him uh, go from lows to highs, help him be successful, what he hears from. You know, millennial salespeople all the time. And I think guiding principles, whether it's one or 12 or 30, finding what those are to you and, and staying true to yourself. And so this is a great conversation with John. We talk way outside of sales, but we start with sales tactics. We get into the mindset needed to be successful. We talk about focusing on your long term growth over short term results. Talked about what he learned from working with the Jack Welch. Um, and above all that, we we talk about these principles and how it guides life, and and what he would tell that person that's struggling right now, that wants to quit, that hates their job, that's facing those tough decisions. Um, and so I'd be curious if you have a guiding principle, let us know. I'd, I'd be really curious to hear of it. You know, John says in his wisdom, stop doing what you're supposed to do. He expands on that. But I loved having John on the show again. If you Found value here? I think you will. Go and check him out. Check out his uh, his social, his blog, his podcast. It's all linked here in the show notes if you go to millennialmomentum.net. Without further ado, I will stop rambling and I will turn it over to Mr. John Barrows. All right. Now coming on the Millennial Momentum podcast, he is the king of SaaS sales, training companies like Salesforce, Box, LinkedIn, Marketo, Google. Uh, started as a sales rep over 20 years ago uh, at Black and Decker, you know, moved into becoming a VP of Sales at a high-growth tech company. Went into the sales training space. Now he's on his own. Um, he is Mr. Make It Happen Monday. Mr. John Barrows, welcome to the show. Hey,
1: Todd, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, I've got a lot of emotions coming into this one because it's the last week of the month it's the last week of the quarter and Gronk just retired yesterday <laughs> and so i got a lot coming into this podcast so i appreciate you know, you coming on
1: yeah it wasn't surprising i, I mean I, I i'm betting so monday so i think uh, the wwe is actually in town in boston and I, I i'm putting money on the fact that gronk comes out on stage to announce his uh his wwe uh uh career uh kick as of tonight so we'll see what happens but i'm pretty confident that kid's going into wrestling
0: i I believe it he's got a he's got a massive future in him no matter what he decides to do if it's football or wwe or acting whatever it is yeah
1: well he's i wouldn't say acting he's not that wwe acting fantastic but acting cronk's not exactly the best actor i've seen
0: (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) that's true Uh, well i appreciate you coming on and you know i want to get right into it and you know, I I've, I've been a follower of of your blog and your podcast for a long time now. Thanks. Um you you train tech target um and and have been doing so for the last year or two. I read in some of your writing that as you got into the sales training profession, it was a tough decision because you didn't necessarily want to be a sales trainer. Mm-hmm. And now you talk about passion and following your passion as being an important key so could could you go back in time and maybe describe how that came to be, how you went from one end of not really knowing if this is going to be right for you to now this is your full-blown passion and you're loving it and, and you're really growing in this area?
1: Yeah, and that, just to clarify, you know, passion, I always – I actually think follow your passion is probably one of the worst pieces of advice anybody in my generation has given your generation. Um, I really do. I, I think follow your passion is just absolutely a terrible advice. Because if if somebody told me to follow my passion when I was in my teenage years or whatever, I'd be smoking weed and painting on the on the side of you know what I mean. Like I'd, <laughs> yeah. I'd be broke on the on the side of being an artist, right? Whatever. Because um, that's what I was quote unquote passionate about when I was you know in my teens and early twenties. Um, what I think is you follow, you know, find your passion and then follow it. And to be quite honest, I think that, that you don't really find out what you're truly passionate about. Most people in general, most people don't really truly find what they're passionate about until they're in their kind of late twenties, early thirties from a, I guess, from a work standpoint, if if I were to quantify that or qualify that. Um, and so for me, it was, you know, I've always been, I, I never knew I was passionate about sales until I got into it and I started realizing like this was a way to take all my skills and put them into to work for, for good. Um and then when I really started becoming a student of sales, you know, and learning and, and by experiencing, one of the things that was blatantly obvious to me was that, you know, why isn't there an education on this? Why isn't there a formal education on this? Because it ends up being the default profession for all of us. You know, we go and get our degree in whatever the hell we want to get our degree in. And then we come out of the real world and we realize either, Ooh, I don't want to do this or B, I can't make enough money doing this. So, Hey, I'm pretty good with people. You know, why don't I get into sales? Right. I heard you can make some money in that. But the problem with that is that our training usually is, Hey, welcome aboard. Here's your territory. Here's your quota. Good luck. And what happens is because we get put, normal people get put into a situation where they now have to, uh, our, our monthly quota with limited education on how to do this the right way, uh, you know, normal people do some very abnormal things to, to hit their quota. You know what I mean? So they cut corners. They they basically lie, cheat, and steal just to do anything they can to hit that number, so they don't get fired because they don't know other any other way. And that's why I think our profession has gotten such a bad rap, is because you know we're we're forced to do stuff in our for our own benefit, so we can actually maintain a job and still get getting paid. And so for me, when I I've always like had a I don't say anger, but just frustrated that this is the number one profession on the planet, but yet none of us are actually formally taught how to do it. So fast forward, I've always said, I'm not a risk taker. I'm a, I'm a calculated risk taker. Like I'm not the guy that's going to leave everything and live on my parents, you know, my parents' basement and eat ramen noodles until I can figure something out. I need to have something in place there in order for me to jump on board. And that's what happened with me with the training was, after I started my first company and I took this training and I scaled it up and then Staples bought us, I knew I didn't want to be in corporate. And when the opportunity came up to be a trainer, I was like, no, because most trainers I had come across were either failed sales professionals or professional presenters. And I didn't want to be part of that. like, if you've ever been through a training where you can tell the trainers never actually done what they're telling you what to do. I was like, gross, right? So, but Basho was unique in the sense that the trainers had to sell using the techniques to then go fill up their pipeline and train, right? So I started doing that and it was funny because my mom's always been, she's been a career counselor since I was a kid and I've had like a Myers Briggs and a disc profile since I was like five years old, whatever. (laughs) And so I, I had this opportunity, which I, you know, I was kind of opening up my eyes to all these different things. And I had this opportunity to be a trainer and I was like, that's kind of, I never really thought of that, but whatever. So I asked my mom, I said, Hey ma, you know, I got this real interesting opportunity never thought of before to be a trainer. What are your thoughts? And she started laughing and she was like, John, she's like, I never wanted to tell you what to do in your career, but um, I if there's anybody I thought would be great at training or teaching, it'd be you. And I was like, really? So then I started researching my own personality, my own, you know, dis profile. I really started taking that stuff in seriously as far as what I liked. Mm-hmm. And I picked up this book because I had to do a training for, for Basho, which was the company at the time. I had to do a training as part of the interview. So I, and I'd never formally trained before. So I went, I literally went to Barnes and Noble, picked up training for dummies and started reading it. And the first, like there was 10 things of what, you know, you need to be successful in in training, right? It was like 10 characteristics. And as I read those, I'm like, holy shit, apparently I'm supposed to be a trainer because every (laughs) single one of them just lined up exactly with what I love doing. So some lessons learned for, for people out there as far as find and follow your passion is, You know, uh, sales specifically, it it was hard for me when I got fired from Staples, um, I had a little bit of an identity crisis. I was like, what am I supposed to do? I've been in tech sales for seven years, is that what I am? Am I a tech sales guy? And my wife was the one who actually helped me think through this. She said, well, let's take a look back at your career and say, why were you successful in every role? Like what, DeWalt, like why were you successful? Why were you the top rep in DeWalt? Or at least in the region because I love selling DeWalt power tools. DeWalt power tools were badass power tools and I loved selling them, right? Xerox was my next job. Why, did, why was I one of the top reps at Xerox? Well, because it's not that I love copiers, who gives a shit about copiers, but I genuinely thought that Xerox copiers were the best in the industry at the time. So I didn't have a problem representing them that way. And then my company Thrive, I didn't care about technology like we did outsourced IT support. I cared about the people and I knew the people that I was representing would execute for our customers. So it flipped for me. It was don't go look for a job. Like it didn't matter what I sold. It mattered that I believed in what I sold. So you yeah. marry that to believing in what you sell, which I think is the most important thing you do. You can do in sales is to figure that out. Then marry that up to the sales training that I loved and worked for me. Now marry that up to the fact that I can now go deliver that to people while I do my job, right? Because I'm a sales I'm a sales rep that happens to train. So that, like, my true passion is sales. It just so happens that I'm okay at sharing it with people as I go. Yeah.
0: yeah. And you mentioned that you know your your vision is you know that that sales can be a more respected profession, right? Like mm-hmm. because um, when people say sales, you think, or not you, but yep. maybe the regular person thinks uh, you know sleazy car salesman or saleswoman door to door. When it's really it's so much more evolved than that, um, but you know, you know, you mentioned that it's the best profession when done right, the worst profession when not done right. So, where's the where is the disconnect? Like, how how can we, as a whole profession, anyone's in sales, get better uh, at their job and, and turn it into the best profession?
1: Yeah, it's funny. Uh, it's funny you bring this up because you said you had Morgan on uh, a little while ago. So Morgan, I brought Morgan Ingram for those of you who don't know him. You know, I brought him on a, uh, about a year and a half ago.
0: Shout out to Morgan.
1: Yeah, yeah there you go. And um, it was funny because you know that kid's got you know he's got energy for days, he's got passion for days, and you know he wants to be a you know number one motivational speaker out there, which I'm, I'm hopefully helping him get his get get there, right? But one of the things we were doing, he's stuck in the Like when I grew up in sales, it was literally here's your territory, go. Right. So I had to self educate a lot and I didn't have inbound leads. I didn't have any of these marketing, you know, these sales automation tools like Sales Loft or any of that stuff. It was just here's a phone, here's an Excel spreadsheet with a bunch of names, go. And so what I was able to do is I was able to round out real fast. You know what I mean? I I actually think the new predictable quote unquote new 15 years at this point, but uh, the predictable revenue model of, of the segmentation of roles has really stunted the growth of sales reps because it, it helps people, I guess, stay in sales a lot longer because the inbound role is like, you know, taking inbound leads and then you start doing outbound and then you make, you know, closing and it's SMB mid-market enterprise. So, but it takes, you know, a solid six to 10 years for a rep to be fully rounded and get experience at every single one of those levels. Whereas for me, it was like year one, you you either figured it out or you didn't. Right. yeah And what it figured out for me was, I always say there's this point where, you know, you catch your sales groove, right, where it's the day you wake up and, you know, you don't know, really know what happened, but sales a little bit easier, right? Right. And it, you don't know what happened or when it happened, but it's the day you start, it's it's the day you stop pitching your solutions and you start having conversations about your solutions. It's the day you start caring more about what the client needs than, you know, what, uh, what goes in your paycheck, right? And that's oddly enough when your paycheck goes to the roof. But yeah. um, Morgan, it was funny because he came to me and he was in the sales loft world, right? The cadence world, coming up with a perfect message, putting the perfect cadence together and then running those numbers and looking at the results and that type of thing. And he was doing all right. But about six months in, he was like, John, you know, I'm just not based on all the work and based on what I was doing previously with Terminus. I'm just not getting the results that I would I would expect to get with what we're doing right here. He's like, you know, what's going on? And I said, well, Morgan, let me give you an example. You know, it's not your results aren't really going to change until something until something happens. And he he goes, what I go "Until, until you start giving a shit. And he was like he was like excuse me uh, i go I, look i know you give a shit about your job i know you give a shit about working here and that type of stuff but until you genuinely start caring about what the client's needs are your results aren't going to change and and that meant to, and for him it was it was a transition that he had to have because when you do this training like when you do deliver this training. Enough times and you get the feedback from the reps, like, holy shit, that was the best training I've ever been through. Or oh my God, look at the results that I got by using the techniques that whatever, right? Like when that happens, that's when you start to say, Oh wow, okay. Now I'm stopping pitching you stuff. Now I know the results that this shit drives, right? So it's the same thing with reps and in their companies, is you know. That's why I recommend every rep when they start a business, when they start for working for their client, uh company is, is read the case studies, talk to customers, right? Why did they decide to work with that business and why are they continuing to work? What's the difference they genuinely and truly make, right? For the right client. Because once you figure that out, then you transfer that enthusiasm. So to your question about how do we elevate? I think it's, unfortunately, we're in a a situation right now where we still are very driven by short-term results like monthly quotas and those type of things. So I think that that takes away from the rep's ability to truly elevate this profession by doing it right. Cause again, it breeds bad habits that every single month you have to hit your quota, but it's the name of the game. So we have yeah. to deal with it. So I think we have to segment out and say, okay, how can I segment out a quality approach that puts some time in for me to do some real, like real good shit for the top tier accounts. And then my quantity approach, how can I do that without turning into a marketing spam engine? And, and by kind of having that bifocal approach, you're able to do the right things for at least some of your prospects and some of your clients. And hopefully that translates to the rest. But I, I think a lot of it has to do with a making sure that what you believe, you you genuinely believe in what you do. And I, and I, I hate to say this, but for people out there that don't believe in what you do, I guarantee you, your your jobs are not very satisfactory. You know what I mean? Even if you might be yeah. getting that paycheck that you're looking for, I bet you don't go home at night saying, man, i love, I, I bet you you work for, you know, the whole Gary V thing. I bet you pray for Fridays, Yeah. yeah. can't wait for the weekends and, and hate Mondays. Like right now it's Monday, right? A bunch of people out there who are making decent money, but don't believe in what they sell. I guarantee you they're waking up today going, oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. You know, I got to get after it again. But if you genuinely care about what you do and believe that your solution makes a difference for the right client, I bet you're popping out of bed on Mondays being like, yep, can't wait to get to work here. And that's all the difference in the world.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's it's such a shift because you when you start in sales, you know, you you think of you might think of the sleazy person or you might think of a movie like, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street or yeah. Glen, Gary Glenn Ross or whatever it may be. And you think that's that sales just dialing and closing people and like, you know, chest bumping in the office but it's about once you understand that one the, you, whatever you sell your product or service like it makes it makes something better right mm-hmm. it doesn't have to cure cancer or no. it be this revolutionary change and that was something that I had to get over is like it is you know my you know SAS technology you know the best thing since sliced bread it, it may or may not be but I believe that it works and I believe and I know that it helps our clients. And understanding and getting to know know, our prospects and clients, getting to know them as people, genuinely caring about them, not just selling them something because I have a quota to hit every quarter, every year, but selling them the right thing um, has been a huge shift for me and other reps that I've talked to um, and understanding and making that flip. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's just, it, it it takes a while. I mean, you mentioned those movies, right? I think you heard me. My favorite sales movie is not Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Wolf of Wall Street, or Boiler Room. I think those are the worst sales movies ever made. Yeah. yeah I, I think that, I mean, they're great movies. They're fun to watch, but they depict sales in all the wrong light, right? The best sales movies out there, uh, uh, Pursuit of Happiness is hands down, you know, the Love second that. best out there. Uh, that's That one really is about hard work and everything, and what that drives. But then my favorite is Tommy Boy. Yeah. Right. Because that's the one if you if you watch Tommy boy, you know, that's, I, you know, when I say catching your sales groove bef- you know, the scene of the chicken wings. Right. Hey, you know, you look like a Helen. Right. That whole thing. Yeah. Like up until that point, he was pitching. He was every everything. He was trying to be his dad. Right. He was trying to basically read a script and say the same thing as dad. And, and he sucked. Right. You, you stick your head up a butcher's ass. No, that's not how you do it, Right. So. So then in that one scene, he was himself. You know what I mean? He just kind of made fun of himself, self-deprecating and then, you know, and then all of a sudden she was like, wow, you know, let me go fix it. And that's where he caught it. You know what I mean? He, he caught his sales groove and he started to realize that it was it was about having fun. It was about, you know, connecting with the prospects. It's about, you know, talking to some, not trying to sell somebody, right? You, you bring that up. You know, I, I actually believe, I don't believe I sell anybody anything. I My whole mentality when talking to people is I either help you reach your goals or, or solve your problems. And if your goals aren't big enough and your problems aren't big enough, then why are we talking? Right. But if your goals are big enough and your problems or your problems are big enough, and I have a solution for you, then let's talk because we can make a difference here. And it's not just a little bit of a difference, right? I'm not talking moving from like, you know, a six to a 6.5 here. I want to take you from a six to a nine. I want to take you from a six to a 10. And if I can do that, that's where I can really drive the sale. Right. I mean, we talk about challenge. A lot of people talk about challenger sale. Well, You know, unless you really genuinely understand what the client's priorities are and what their timeline is and those type of things, and and you know your solution can hold a home run, then you can can and should be a challenger, right? But if you're just trying to hit your monthly quota and you're trying to manufacture urgency by offering discounts and stuff like that, you're not a challenger. You're just a jackass. So, you know what I mean? Like, seriously. So, I mean, challenger sale is like... I play challenger sale all the time because prospecting, I think prospecting is the number one thing that any rep can get great at. I don't care where you are in your career because yep. there's one solution to every other problem at every other stage of the sales process. You know negotiations, objection handling, discount, all that stuff. A big fat pipeline solves all of it. Right. Like I don't I don't discount it anymore at all because I don't have to. Like I'm booked through ju- June at this point. So if you want time on my calendar, it's going to be in June and it's going to be rate card and if you're beating me up and if you're like oh come on john you know you're twice as expensive your closest competitor i'm like good for them actually shit, good for me you know what i mean like i'm I'm gonna be prices right now because i don't need i always want to put myself in a position where i don't need your business i want it i genuinely want your business for the right client but i don't need it and that way i can sell the right way
0: now there's such, you've mentioned a few times, like the focus on monthly quotas, quarterly quotas, short-term goals, you know, for everyone in sales and for every, most businesses, especially if you're public. Yeah. How do you, this is a self-serving question as someone that is three months into uh, a sales management role. And I want the focus to be with, you know, my, my team that is, we're all, you know, in our young to mid twenties, right? We, we, For all intents and purposes, we don't know shit. So I want the focus to be on growth, on getting Mm -hmm. better. Um, How do you or how would you recommend balancing that with, you know, the ever present monthly goals that they have, quarterly goals that they have?
1: Yeah. So it's tough, right? I mean, one of the sad things that I heard, this was back, I want to say probably about eight years, seven or eight years ago during one of the election cycles or whatever it is. And I don't want to pick sides here, but one of the, one of the, um, People running for president said that there was an interview. I was watching this interview with them and they were talking about this survey that was done, which is if they were asked, uh, 50 of the top CEOs of the top 50 companies in the world were asked if you could do something today that in five years was a huge benefit to your employees, to your business, to your shareholders, to the environment, you name it, right? But it, but it, it took five years to get there, but it took one penny off of your stock price today. Would you do it? and 50 out of 50 of them said no. Wow. 50 out of 50 of them and and what their what their justification for it was if I did that today, if I made a decision that had, you know, a negative impact on our stock price, I wouldn't make it to 5 years. So which is sad, right? Which is, yeah. you know, we are, we are in this instant gratification world of, you know, and especially to your point of public, publicly traded companies. So how do we deal with that as, as frontline sales managers, right? Because we're getting pushed, you're getting pushed to hit those quotas for the team, right? And you got to push that down to your team. Um, I think it is again, segmenting out quality versus quantity and making sure that, that yes, the volume is there with call blitzes and, you know, and targeted campaigns and those type of things while you section off some really high quality thought provoking. Okay. Now you have to think about these some, but, but depending on where you are in your pipeline, you can mix and match in the sense that say your pipeline's killer, right? And you're, you're totally full and you're, you're coming to the end of the month and you're looking good. Well then focus shift the focus to a lot more quality than quantity. Yeah. Whereas if your pipeline isn't where it needs to be, okay, then shift the focus a little bit more on the volume than not. But what I used to do as a manager, just to help with the, to your point of the continuous improvement and the and the learning component of this, as opposed to just the results side of this, was... Um, was, you know, I always had this, I didn't have a lot of money, right? So when my first startup, we, we were self-funded, we had no money, you know, I was 25, right? You know, 26, 27 with some reps reporting to me and I had no fucking idea what I was doing. So me personally, what I would do is I would go out and I would take as many trainings as I could. You know, and I, would, I would go to the free workshops, I would go on, I would join the webinars or whatever it is. And I'd use that as an opportunity to, to, to learn about, you know, micro learning, is, is really what my focus was on to say, OK, we have a process in place here. We have a structure, whatever. Now let's micro learn. So the idea was I would stand up every single week with my team and I'd say, all right, everybody, what's the challenge we're trying to address this week? Right. And somebody would raise their hand and be like, or, you know, what are we getting our asses kicked on right now? And Somebody would raise their hand and be like, John, gatekeepers, you know, gatekeepers are absolutely killing us. OK, cool. Who wants to own this one? And i would have one of my reps and this is for you from a delegation standpoint You know, i'd have one of my reps raise their hand right I'll i'll take this one and all i wanted them to do was literally lift up their laptop do a google search on best way to handle gatekeepers right read a couple of articles find find an approach that that they felt was good that, that they felt we could apply right they would bring it back to the team and say, all right, everything, they do a little presentation. Okay, here's, here's, you know, the challenges gatekeepers getting through gatekeepers. I was doing, I read this blog post that said, hey, here's a technique on how to get through gatekeepers. So now let's role play that out. Let's kind of get the bugs out. Let's make sure that we feel, we feel comfortable with this approach. And then everybody during the week, I used to have everybody carry a notepad bigger than this, but uh, a notepad next to their desk. And they would write down at the top of the notepad, Uh, challenge equals gatekeepers, approach equals, whatever that approach was and write it out, right? And then there'd be a T-bar on their their, uh, notepad and it would be plus minus. And the whole idea was no matter what happens that week, no matter what happens, do whatever you wanna do for everything else that happens. But when that thing comes up, when gatekeepers happen, you have to use that approach, right? And, and then you'd have to try plus minus. It worked, it didn't work, it worked, it didn't work. And then what I would do as a manager is I would collect all those pieces of paper at the end of the week and then add up the numbers and be like, all right, everybody, we hit 200 gatekeepers last week. We got you know 60 positives and 140 negatives. That's actually a pretty good approach for gatekeepers. Let's, pa- let's put that one on the list. Next week, what are we trying to figure out? John, this objection's killing us. Or John, hey, look, why don't we all try asking this question and seeing what happens, right? So if you think of micro learning along the way, um, you start to, you start to figure out small ways that you can introduce learning into the environment and, and then while still focusing on driving results,
0: right? That's a great, yeah, that's a great idea. So it's a great idea.
1: And, and something for you, by the way, this also is, is something from a benefit standpoint you can give to your reps. So for instance, you know, we had, I didn't, I didn't have a standard of, Hey, you all get 500 bucks a month to spend on your own learning or whatever it was, but if there was a webinar or a workshop coming up or a training that I thought was interesting that we need that we probably wanted to go to, whatever rep was having the best month or had the time to be able to do it, you know what I mean? If somebody wasn't hitting their numbers, I didn't wanna have them take time to do this, but if they did, were hitting their numbers and that's why it ebbs and flows every single month, I would say, okay, cool. A benefit to you is I'm gonna have you go and I want you to go attend that webinar. I want you to go attend that workshop, whatever it was. But then you have to come back and educate us on what, you can, what came out of that. What was your learning lessons out of that? And they would almost be the quote unquote project manager for that thing. So whatever that thing was that they brought back and we were going to try to implement into our process, they would product manage it in the sense of they would tell us how it worked. They would show us how we were going to track it. And then they would be the one responsible for figuring out. And and this is easy stuff. This isn't like, oh, heavy lifting. Oh, my God, I got to spend five days coaching people on this. This is you spend an hour on a webinar. You take some notes on it. You pull the one thing out of it. You tell us how to do it and you figure out how we're going to track it. And the end of the week you tell us how we did. Right. Mm -hmm. That way you had, I had this continuous learning mentality on the team where every single week we were picking and it was almost like you, and this is my belief right now, you have to take an agile approach to selling right now, because what worked six months ago is not working right now, right? right? So any technique that you come up with, as soon as it's labeled as a technique or recognized as a technique, it doesn't work anymore. So you're constantly have to be like, okay, well, what's new, what's new, what's new, what's new, right? And that way you can start to figure things out. I mean, one more small, super tactical thing that everybody can do right now and and an easy way to, um, to gain knowledge is read the gong blog, man. The G-O-N-G. Really good. I I mean, mind blowing shit (laughs) and, and what I'm, and it's all based on data of millions of calls, Right. So it's not like it's my opinion anymore about what a sales rep or a sales trainer thinks is a good idea. It's like, no, no, no. There's data that says this works. Let's at least use that as a baseline and then compare it to something that we're doing and split test it.
0: Right. Yeah. That, I mean, they are, they have just some great stats there and we do a monthly session with our team uh, called iron sharpens iron where we'll pick a topic and we'll come with ideas of, you know, what's stopping us similar to what you're saying um here's some ideas here's some blogs books whatever podcasts that we've listened to that are talk about this and every single time you know one of the best resources is is the gong blog because it, it just has such great data around it. it's stupid i mean yeah, i actually called awesome. up chris norlow
1: I, I i'm worked we're working directly with chris now because i called him up and i said all right when are you guys going to start your own training organization
0: yeah and he
1: was like what do you mean i was like dude I'm not kidding you right now, and I don't want to put myself out of a job, and thankfully all that gong data you know, reinforces my stuff too, but if anybody out there right now is seriously considering getting into being an entrepreneur and likes training, for instance, all you have to do is go to the gong blog, take a data point on something, and put a, three slides around that data point of what to do about it, and you will be a better trainer than 95% of the trainers out there right now. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I'm not That's kidding. Epic. Yeah. I'm dead serious on that one. Like if yeah. I was thinking about getting into training right now and being like, Oh, what should I do? I would go read the Gong blog and I would develop, I would take one cool data point and then come up with like a strategy around how to do that and then go out and deliver it. Cause it's, it's that good and it's based on facts, not fiction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You got to check that out if you're, if you're in sales. And and I want to take a little bit of a step back from the sales approach and get a little bit more into john barrows right. and i'd be remiss if i didn't bring up i found, I, you know I, I found it it was wide open on your site and on your linkedin your 12 guiding principles mm-hmm. and when i saw that i was like oh shit that's that's money that's money so i want to i have two questions you know one is how and when did you develop those principles and then the background or the second is like how do they guide you on a daily course or or weekly or yearly course
1: yeah it's interesting you bring it up because i, I think there's um i was actually just watching a blog or linkedin post from uh, richard harris today about you know interviews right and he's like you know you're not being interviewed you need to interview right so you're you're interviewing the companies and yeah, i yeah. tell reps a lot this all the time it's like when you <clears throat> when you're looking for a job, I think the most important thing any of us can do is literally outline what your values are. What are your values? As a human being, what do you truly value, okay, personally? And then once you really truly understand what your values are, then, and you know, a lot of people call this your why, you know, those type of things, but it's not just your why of why do you do what you do, it's the core values that drive what you do, okay? Based on that, then you start looking for organizations that that fit those values. And you know, when I was at Rainmaker, for instance, I was was being asked to speak at a panel and it was on communities. And she asked, you know, John, what's the most important part of, of building a community? I said, well, you have to build a community based on shared values because you and I can disagree on opinions, on whatever, as long as we have core values in play. Then it's gonna be a healthy debate. It's gonna be a healthy discussion. But you and I, if we do not have our core values in line, it's gonna be a disaster, which is why, for instance, why we are with where we are with politics right now. Like we've, and just as a small subs, you know, and I don't wanna get too much into this, but we have lost our core values as America, for instance. You know what I mean? It used to be Democrats and Republicans and whatever, but at least we were Americans and we believed in the like the American core values. Now, those core values, you ask two different people on, on both sides and it's like, nope, that's not our values anymore. So that's the problem with where we are right now because now people are just yelling at each other, All right, So that resonated with me and you asked like when I did it, I, I actually don't know. Um, I know I did it early. I think I did it at at like when I first started with my first startup thrive because I just wanted to make sure that I was I was you know that that I knew why I was doing what I was doing and how I was guiding myself and so but I think it was it was partly when I started to become a manager because I had brought in two or three or four sales reps and and they didn't work like I I wasn't a good enough manager to to get them to work. And I've, a lot of it was because I think our, I, I didn't share with them where I was coming from. Yeah. So one of the things I did was I, I outlined my 12 guiding principles. And I said, to them, you know, one of them is work hard and smart, like people. Uh, I'm sorry, work smart and hard. You know, everybody says work smart. Bull, yeah, yeah, smart yeah. Bullshit. You have to work your ass off. You know, everybody asked me, John, what's the secret to success? You know, you've been successful in your career and all that stuff. I'm like uh, working your ass off, period. Like I'm not that smart of a kid. I went to a state school, drank my way through college, you know, whatever,
0: <laughs> but I'll just
1: work harder than you. And I know it, you know what I mean? So, right. so I'm like, I'll beat out the smartest kid on the block on the block any day of the week when it comes to work ethic, okay? So work smart and hard, um, you know, find, there's no, find your passion or find something else to do. Not follow your passion, find your passion, right? <laughs> all those things. So I did that for myself to kind of keep a guiding light on decisions I made, you know, you know, all that stuff. And then it made it great from when I would hire reps, because I would look, I would say to them, I got to say, Hey, I just want to let you know, here's my 12 guiding principles of how I live my life. So I'm not saying you have to have these exact same guiding principles, but if any of your principles or values conflict with these, we need to have a conversation because, you know, there's going to be a point where we disagree. And if we disagree on a value, then it's going to be hard for us to come to a conclusion on this one. Um, but if we, if you agree to those, just know that moving forward, this is where my feedback's coming from. You know what I mean? So, yeah. for instance, if I'm getting into the office, when I say work hard and smart, I used to get into the office at every morning at six o'clock in the morning, and I would stay until eight, nine, ten o'clock at night because I didn't have any kids, I didn't have any response, you know, any real responsibilities or anything like that, and I just wanted to be successful. So if I, if I hired a kid and they were going home, you know, they were coming in at nine o'clock in the morning and they were going home at four o'clock, four 30 in the afternoon. Look, if you're hitting your, num- if you're crushing your numbers, then I don't give a shit. Right. But as soon as your numbers were even questionable and you were doing the nine to four, nine to five thing, and I, and you were seeing me get agitated with you, that's where it was coming from. Cause I was in on the weekends. I was giving up my Friday nights to work. You know what I mean? That type of stuff. Yeah. I wasn't going out and getting You know, rip, roar, and hammered with my friends every single fucking night. I mean, I did, don't get me wrong. I did plenty of partying, but uh, my point is, is like, if, if you didn't believe in that stuff, then you got fired pretty quick because our values were off. And so I really do think that any individual, any manager should sit down and really have a very strong conversation with themselves about what do they value, write those down, um, and then anybody who's looking for a job or an employment should have their own values, and then and marry those up to look for companies to work for.
0: Yeah, it's something that I come across a lot um, from you know a lot of people that I look up to, whether it's someone like you know Tony Robbins or uh, mm-hmm. you know Michael Gervais, the sports psychologist. There's just a lot of biographies you read that people lay out whether it's one or it, whether it's twelve or however many the philosophies or the principles that guide their life, so that when you have that time when you're hiring someone or you feel like shit or you're in a slump or whatever it is, you go, am I living up to these principles? You have a tough decision to make. You know, well, let's just follow the principles. You know, Similar sure. to uh, you know, like Ray Dalio's book where he, he set the guidelines and you, know, you kind of follow through based on whatever those models are and that's what guides your life.
1: I'll give you an example. So I brought on a friend of mine, uh, Chris Merrill, who's my new CRO. Um, I grew up with the kid since we were you know, five years old and he's now my CRO responsible, but his main focus is uh, sponsorships and, and partnerships, right? And I told him straight up, I go, look, when we look for sponsorships, the number one criteria, number one criteria on spon- on taking money from somebody, right? To, to sponsor a webinar or pod- whatever that we're doing. Number one criteria is ethos. They have to be on the same page with us as far as ethos is concerned and their values of how they see sales and this and in this industry. Because I don't care. Like you could write me a check for a million dollars if you're a douchebag company. Like I'm not going to work with you. Period. Like I'll give you an example and I'll straight up call them out. Grant Cardone. If Grant Cardone's company called up and wanted to wanted to partner partner with me, I don't give a shit how much money they wanted to give me. <laughs> Fuck off. Because I genuinely disagree with that with that person's approach to selling, you know what I mean? And right. just approach to, 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 shit in general, right? So stacks of cash and all that stuff like that's Glengarry, Gary, Glen Ross, that's Wolf of wall street. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And I
1: tell people all the time, Oh, come on, John, Wolf of wall street's a great, like you and I don't agree on values when it comes to sales. If you think Wolf of wall street is a fantastic sales movie and that's how sales should be done. You and I fundamentally do not agree. So guess what? You're not going to like my training. You're not. You know what I mean? Because because you're going to be like, oh well, what about just you know stuffing it down their throat and telling them, well, oh, what the fuck you don't like revenue, blah blah blah, right? Like, okay, that's not the way I sell. So you're you're probably going to walk out of my training going, I didn't like that training because guess yeah. what? You and I values do not do not align. So with Chris, I said number one is ethos. Second is does their product align with our solution? But if if they're not good people, fuck off.
0: Right. Yeah, and that's really important even for personal relationships you know your friends or oh whoever God. it is you got to have the same values i'm sure you you know same with with your family i've cut um, off i mean
1: i've cut off people out of my life straight up who i've realized at later stages of my life did not share my values
0: yeah it's tough uh, I so i i saw when when doing some research that you spent three or so months working with um with the welches Jack Welch yeah. and I've yeah. I've never seen any write up or or heard you talk about it. Uh maybe I just I haven't found it. it no. Nope. W- was there any takeaway or interesting story or lesson that you learned from that stint?
1: Yeah, so background on that one. This is so a lot of lessons learned. Um uh, one of them so I'll, I'll pick a few I got fired from staples um, after so they acquired us this guy Jack well uh, this guy Jay Baitler had acquired us he was the, he was the head of like a 12 billion dollar part of staples he was the one who acquired us. Um, when they were doing, and I was, I don't know, 27 when they were acquiring us. And so, again, I had no idea. Neither, none of us as a management team had no idea, like what, what to do. Right. Cause it was the first time we're small kids, you know, so we were going through the interview process. So we brought in a, a consultant to come and talk to us. About hey, this is what to expect, and this is what you should probably say. And I suck at I suck at lying. I, like I, I'm about as transparent as it gets. But this guy, but I was a minority shareholder. I didn't want to screw anything up. So this guy basically told us what to say, right? So now Jay comes in and interviews us one by one, and he gets to me, and I do my thing, and he's like, "So what do you think about the interview?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's gonna be great. I can't wait." And blah blah blah. And in the back of my head, I'm going, "You guys are gonna fucking ruin us. Like you're you know you're gonna fire us all in six months. It's gonna be a disaster." So that obviously came through. Yeah. So fast. So he didn't he started off with a negative perception of me in the beginning. Uh, that didn't uh, get any better. Uh, and so eventually a year later, he fired me. And I always say there's there's this one closing technique called the uh, uh, the doorknob close where after you lose a deal you ask the client hey what's the real reason i lost you know what i mean not to try to resell them or anything like that but just to genuinely understand what happened and i've done that throughout my career anytime i thought i had like a, I, I was convinced that i we were the right solution and we had this deal and i lost after the dust settled i would reach back out to the client and say hey for my own personal and professional development would you would you help me understand what happened here and you know maybe one out of 10 of them will give you some feedback on that and that but that feedback is fantastic so that's what i did with jay after he fired me he said, you know, I said, hey, Jay, just for my own personal and professional development, help me understand. And he was so open to giving me feedback and so appreciative of me coming to him. He said, you know, John, the, the fact that you came and asked me what happened here tells me more about you than I knew in the uh, year of working with you. Right, mm-hmm. and what I learned in that—that that was like my MBA. Like that hour with Jay was my MBA, right? Because the, the stuff that I learned in there was—and you can even look at that one. It's like the biggest learning lesson of my career. That's the blog post on that one. Yep. But what happened, and as this relates to Jack, then I then I get this opportunity where this kid reaches out to me on LinkedIn and he's like, "Hey, John, I got this opportunity to work for you for the top CEO in the in the world." And I'm like, I thought it was pure spam. I'm like, fuck you, right? I don't mm-hmm. I didn't remember who the kid was, you know. So whatever second email he hits me up. he's like, John, it's to work for Jack Welsh." And I was like, whoa, whoa what? All right, you got my attention so you might be full of shit, but I, the name Jack Welsh pops up because he's my all-time business idol and all that stuff right. Um, so he gets on the phone and this was one of my guiding principles is which is what goes around, comes around. Early in my career, this kid was looking for a job. So one of my buddy's companies was hiring and he's like, Hey John, would you mind just talking to this kid just to see if he's a good fit for me? So I was kind of interviewing this kid for that job. And it was in an IT services field that I was familiar with. So I talked to the kid and I gave him some feedback and some kind of life lessons or guidance or whatever. I don't even really remember. And he didn't end up taking the job, but he, and I was like, when I got on the phone with him, fast forward for this position, he goes, you don't remember me, do you? I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I, I have no idea who you are. And he goes, well, about seven or eight years ago, you gave me some career advice. You know, you gave me an hour of your time, which I knew was extremely valuable. And you gave me some career advice that changed the trajectory of my career. And I was like, oh, cool. He's like, so when this offered, now I'm a recruiter and now I, I recruit for Jack Welsh and his new online MBA program that he's, that he's doing. And you were the first one that popped up and I was like, no shit. Right. So <laughs> yeah. Going back to what goes around comes around, that's a learning lesson. Now, fast forward, I get to meet with Jack Welsh. Well, now mind you, I thought I was was just gonna meet with Susie, so Susie and Jack, right? Now Susie's like pretty high up there for her own accord, right? So I, and preparation for this meeting was down in Florida. um, Their receptionist said, oh, well Susie's really looking forward to meeting with you. And I'm like, what about Jack? And she goes, well, he might show up. So I was like, all right. So this flipped from me, inter- them interviewing me to me interviewing them because I had my own company, had a good thing going. So why would I go work down? Even if it is Jack right, Welch, right. why am I going to? Right. So I start, so I come up with questions. Now, mind you, Jack Welsh Management Institute, they had tied themselves to this Chancellor University, which was this piece of shit college in in, in Cleveland, Ohio, piece of shit, like nonprofit college in Cleveland, Ohio. And my first literal question to Jack was going to be like, Jack, what the fuck? Like, you could you could have called up Harvard, MIT, anybody and said, hey, I want to do an MBA. And they would have said, yes, please. Why this piece of shit college? Right. Because his name, his whole thing is radical candor. Like candor is the most important, thing, right? Which I'm a big believer. So that was going to be my first question to him. Now, mind you, I'm sitting there. I go to the interview. Uh, I, I sit down and I'm getting ready. I'm expecting Susie to come in, right? And it's in this tiny little office with like total startup office, right? Not something you'd expect from Jack Welsh, billi- almost billionaire. And all of a sudden, across, you know, Jack Welsh shows up in the doorway and he's like, he looks down and he goes, John Barrows. And I look up, I'm like, Jack Welsh. And uh, he's like, get in here, let's have a conversation. And I was just like, holy shit. So now I don't get nervous very much anymore at all, right? But now I'm sitting across the table from the man, like the man, right? And I'm like, and I'm about to ask my question. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm coming straight strong right out of the gate. And before I even get a word out of my mouth, he goes, so, so let me tell you about this bag of shit, college, chancellor, university, I got myself involved. he's <laughs> like, boy, did I make a fucking mistake? And I was like, oh thank God, you know, because he's a Boston kid, right? So him and I were just like, Oh, yeah. and I was like, Oh, fucking hey, jack. Thank you. Right. And it just went straight into like, just a really good conversation. And fast forward from there. So it was like radical candor, like that the interview, right. And going back to another learning lesson, I was interviewing him as much as he was interviewing me to make sure that there, our values were aligned. And our values were very clearly aligned as far as how business was done, because I had already known and done my research on him. Then they were looking for an interview, they, then they were looking for a reference. Okay. Guess who I used as a reference for, to get a job with Jack and Susie Welsh, Jay Batler, the guy that fired me from Staples. Yeah. Yeah. And so, because, and you know what, Jay, so I gave him Jay Batler, the guy who fired me. And you know what Jay told Jack, if you don't hire John Barrows, you're an idiot. Wow. Wow. So, literally the probably one of the worst things that's happened to me in my career was the best thing that ever could have happened to me in my career and this is another learning lesson from that whole experience and going back to staples was i wrote a blog post on this one called stop doing what you're supposed to do and this aligns with kind of values and stuff like that two experiences in my life that woke me up to stop doing what i was supposed to do one was my first uh uh fiance uh, i was in, i was in college I got my first, you know, I, I started dating this girl at the end of my freshman year and I locked into her. Right. So for, for, you know, three years in college and then three years after that, I even moved her up to Boston, everything. I knew it wasn't right. It didn't feel right. I knew this wasn't right. But what do you do after being with somebody for seven years? Right. right. You get married. Right. Like, that's what you do. Right. I mean, you know, after two or three years, fuck it. But after seven years of somebody like, uh, I, I, you're supposed to get married. Then you're supposed to buy a house. Then you're supposed to have a kid. Right now. Thank God. She, en- so we got engaged. Thank God. She ended up breaking it off with me. So she, she left me. Right. And I was devastated, but like literally two days later, I woke up and I was like, it was like this huge weight had been lifted off of my shoulders. Like, Oh my God. Like that was probably the best thing personally. That's ever happened to me. Now with the woman that I should be with my wife and my daughter, and I'm super happy business wise, thrive getting bought by staples i knew staples wasn't right i knew me and staples was not right i mean i was fighting it hard but yeah. i was doing what i was supposed to do i didn't even have a plan b in the sense that i was just grinding right i was like Fuck it i'm gonna work i'm gonna make this happen legit and even though i knew it was wrong and they ended up firing me which again devastating but like two or three days later, i mean seven years i had started this company you cut my arm i bled blue the whole thing And they fired me like, what the fuck? This is my company. And, and, but then literally two or three days later, woke up again and said, like, yup, best thing that could have. So now my whole mentality is stop doing what you're supposed to do. Right. Like do what you do, do what you believe based on your values, you should be doing. And if somebody doesn't appreciate that, go find something else to do.
0: Love that. Stop doing what you're supposed to do. And as we wrap this thing up, um, we got, You know, two last questions for you. Mm -hmm. You know, the the last one will be just, you know, where we can find out more about, you know, your blog, your podcast, everything that you're doing, which again, I highly endorse for anyone that's in sales or just wants to be successful. But before that, uh, there's a lot of people listening that are in their, you know, mid, late 20s, early 30s. They might be in sales. They might not be in sales. They might run a business, whatever it is, but they're kind of stuck in a slump and, you know, they're, we're a quarter way into the year and things might not have turned out the way they wanted when they set those New Year's resolutions or when they set their goals for the year and they're hitting a slump and they hate their job and uh, <laughs> they don't know what to do. They don't know where the paychecks coming. in. Yeah. Do you have any simple words of advice uh, for those folks?
1: Two. Uh, one is what's your five-year plan? All right. I used to think this was a stupid question when you would go through your interviews and the manager would say, Oh, what do you want to be in five years? Oh, I want to be a manager, that type of bullshit. I don't I actually used to think it was a joke. Now I think it's really important. And I think it's probably an experience thing from my standpoint, being 43 at this point in my career. Um, but I would really sit down and ask yourself life-wise, forget about job, forget about money for a second here. Five years out, where do you want to be? right. What kind of lifestyle do you want to be living in five years? Do you want to have a wife and kids and house and that type of stuff? Do you want to be traveling the world? What does that look like? Okay, And then based on that, that, because I think five years is a good benchmark. Anything beyond that, who the hell knows what's going to happen. But based on that benchmark now back into how much money do you need to be able to make? and What kind of job do you need to have to be able to live that lifestyle? And then back into what you're doing today. Because look, every everybody, every rep who asks me, hey John, I'm not really happy in my job right now, you know, what what do you suggest I do? I, I ask them, what's your five year plan? From a from a lifestyle standpoint, what's your five year plan? And most of them don't have it. They don't have a really clear picture of that. But if they do, look, as long as whatever you are doing right now is gonna help you reach that goal, then you're gonna it's gonna be way more satisfying doing it. But if you don't have a plan, you're like, for instance, I could eat a shit sandwich for a year if you need me to, if it's going to get me to that next level of my career, that's going to help me achieve my overall goal. But if I don't have a plan or a goal or anything like that, I'm going to look, keep looking for better shit shit sandwiches. You know what I mean? Like this one tastes a little bit better than that one. Like I see SDRs all the time being like, oh, well, you know, I don't like this one. I'm not making enough money and blah, blah. And, you know, I'm sitting in the role. It's only been, you know, it's been nine months and I haven't gotten fucking promoted. It's like, first of all, you got a 40 year career ahead of you. So b- slow the fuck down. Okay. Uh, second of all, like what's your plan? Well, I want to go get another one for another company. So what? So you can sit for another nine months being an SDR and be unhappy, right? But so have that plan first and foremost. And then if you're in a negative tailspin, um, look for small stuff to to start getting you in the positive direction. One of the best things that I, one of the best things I ever did for a friend of mine who was on a negative tailspin was, and this was personally, so you can do this professionally as well. As I told her, usually when you're in a negative tailspin, it's because you have that lens on. You know, everybody knows sales sales in life is a lot about momentum, right? Yeah. When things are going poorly, they tend to keep going poorly, right? When things are going positive, they keep going positive, right? There's something just about like an aura that happens around those, th- those type of things. So when things are going negative, you got to stop them from going negative, And you got to start looking at them from a positive perspective. So an exercise that anybody can do right now, if they're in a shitty situation, or just really on a negative tailspin is take a notepad with you. And while you go around uh, throughout your day, write down every positive thing that happens to you. And I mean, as small as you think it is, somebody opened the door for you, somebody uh, let you go, uh, t- you know, take a right on red or somebody let you into traffic or something like that. Um, you hit a green light on your way to work, whatever those things are. Okay. Literally write them down. Just the positive ones. Okay. You'd be amazed at what happens at the end of the day. You end up having a whole list of positive shit that happens to you. And then you start changing your perspective yeah, because there's way too much negativity right now in the world as far as news and all those other things. So it's so easy to get caught up in the negative tailspin. You have to start looking proactively for positive things to get out of that thing. So goal setting and, and looking for the small things to turn things around are two, two very tactical things that anybody can do right now to to get
0: things back on track. You gotta be positive. And as my man, Tony Robbins says, trade, Uh, expectation for appreciation.
1: There you go, right? Change of shoes and the musts and all that other stuff,
0: (laughs) Where, John, where can we find you? I appreciate your time, man.
1: No, I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, really just the website, it gives everything, right? So jbarrows.com, the letter J-B-A-R-R-O-W-S.com. You'll see that I have a resource library on there where I give away most of my stuff for free. Um, you know, I got my blog that, uh, that you talked about briefly. I appreciate, and then anything on social, right? John M as Michael Barrows. That's my handle on Instagram, Snapchat. Um, you name it, LinkedIn. Um, I usually try to, you know, get to everybody. So if you have questions, those are the easiest ways to get to me. Actually, um, Instagram and Snapchat stories, those type of things, I'll get you right back on those. And then the one thing I would, uh, I'm going to pre-promote this cause it's probably the thing I'm most excited about that I'm working on right now, which is, um, uh, everybody's asking me, John, when am I going to write a book? Right. Just and, uh, well, yeah, and I've been, you know, I've been finding it for, well, first of all, I don't, I'm not a big reader, so I'd be a little bit of a hypocrite to write a fucking book. Uh, so I don't, cause I don't really like reading, but I like reading blogs and stuff like that. I think mo- most books are full of shit, but, um, and the other thing is like, what am I going to write that hasn't already been written about sales? You know, that type of thing. So, but I am writing a book, um, but it's going to be, it's a good children's book and it's called, I want to yeah. be in sales when I grow up. So the whole idea there is I want to change sales from a default profession to a profession that kids think of early Um, because when done right, like, you know, this is full circle here. When sales is done right, it's the greatest profession in the world. When done wrong, it's the worst. And I think if, if we stop looking at sales as the default profession and start educating kids on really the true core fundamentals of what sales truly should be and is early in their careers then we'll start to breed this whole other group of sales professionals that will elevate the profession uh, to the level of respect it deserves in the, in the near future.
0: That's that's great. When's that coming out?
1: So it's to print right now. I think it's probably another six weeks. So it looks like I'm guessing, you know, probably sometime early May is, that, is when we'll be pushing it out there.
0: Awesome. I had not seen that. I don't know if you've been promoting it yet. But- no, I
1: haven't been promoting it yet because I just want to, I'm trying to keep it under wraps and I want to kind of wait until we got the, we actually have the product to start doing the heavy push on it. So but uh, this is out.
0: an exclusive take, yeah. first take here on uh, Monday morning with Millennial Momentum. There you go. <laughs> awesome, man. All right, John. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, again, everyone, highly recommend if you're in sales, management, entrepreneurship, check out John's content. He is the man.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it, brother.
0: Thank you for listening to that episode of the Millennial Momentum Podcast. Remember, you can follow me at Tommy Tahoe, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, millennialmomentum.net. Please subscribe and review this show on iTunes. It means the world of difference. Have a great day. Be awesome.